happening right now. Oh, that must be on my end. All right, we're live. Sorry about the technical difficulties. I had all of a sudden music playing in my ears. It was really weird. Anyway, awesome show planned for you all today. Welcome back to another awesome week. Uh, we're going to be talking about your sexual revolution. I, who knows where we're going to go with this one. So tune in. We're going to have a lot of fun. Here we go. Practicing polyamory. Real life perspectives from the imperfect people of polyamory. The mission of the Practicing Polyamory podcast is to provide a platform for all of the real-life, flawed humans that practice polyamory so that we might all learn from one another and grow as a community. Enjoy the show. All right, all right. We're back, everybody. Thank you all, as always, for tuning in. You know, before I say anything else, I just want to thank all of you viewers and listeners out there. There were almost a 1,000 downloads of the podcast last week, which, like, really pumped me up and, and, and excited me. So thank you, all of you, for tuning in. Uh, before we jump in and chat with today's awesome guest, I want to quickly remind everybody that we are open for questions. So if you have any questions about your relationships, if there's a topic that you'd like us uh, to discuss, that you'd like to hear discussed, slide into my DMs. Follow me on all social media platforms. You can find me everywhere at Practicing Polyay. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, wherever it is that you download your podcast. Uh, you slide into my DMs, send me a message. would love to chat about whatever it is that you've got going on. You can also ask a question live and get an answer on the show. So. Um, yeah, tune in and, and ask your questions. Uh, and as always, I want to remind everybody that if you are listening to this podcast, you are a welcome guest to be on the show. We're here to share stories. And I want to get as many voices as possible to speak here because I know that the more stories we hear, the more representation we'll have, the more others see us and themselves, and the more we can strengthen our community. So go to practicingpolyamory.com and sign up today. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's all I've got. On to the best part of the show, introducing our guest. Our guest today developed her sex therapy practice out of a concept born of becoming, meaning that we are not stagnant. We are constantly changing, fluid, and moving. We are constantly becoming, and we have not yet arrived. It stands to reason, then, that we need to integrate our conscious minds with the growth and change that is constantly happening in our lives. Today's guest teaches her clients how to do so using two systems of human development, chakra from each Eastern cultures and psychology from the West. Using these two philosophies as a foundation, our guest is well-versed in discussing the non-linear cyclical nature of human development, including potential traumas during each of these phases. Today, we'll dive into how she guides her clients through exercises that open a dialogue to explore sexual, sensual, emotional, and energetic health. So tune in for what's sure to be a fun, interesting, and potentially erotic ride. Joining us today out of Goshen, New York, author of Sacred Not Secret, An Integrated Approach to Sexual Revolution, welcome to the show, Christine LaPlante. I hope I got that, that pronunciation right. LaPlante or LaPlante? LaPlante. LaPlante. All right. Should have got it right the first time. Here we go. Should have asked you before the show. You know, sometimes little things like that slip my mind. Christine, thank you so much for hanging out with me. Thank you for joining me today. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is really exciting and a little nerve wracking and putting it all out there and being vulnerable, which is I love your intro because I'm an imperfect human as well as a therapist and practicing polyamory. So 
I, I feel like I'm going to fit right in here. You know, that's all of us. That's all of our stories. And we're all working together to figure it out. So tell me a little bit about you and the things that you have figured out so far. Tell me just a little bit about your journey uh, through polyamory. And then we'll start to get into how your sex therapy practice or therapy practice in general fits into that. Sure. So you have you have time for about 26 years worth of information. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, um, yeah. Narrow it down into 26 <laughs> seconds. Go for it. Ready? Okay. So, <laughs> uh, um, uh, at some point, I, I figured out that um, being monogamous was not for me. Um, it was pretty early on in my life, about 18 to 20 ish. I spent some time by myself, not dating, um, not sexually interactive with people and did kind of a deep dive and what I didn't want relationships. And one of mm -hmm. the things I didn't want was to be with only one person. Um, so I met my, my husband of uh, 23 years um, and we both decided we did not want to be married. And well, we are, um, mm -hmm. we did for, for um, child reasons, for life building reasons, for, you know, whatever was going to come into our life um, legally. And, it's been a ride. You know, I used to joke that I could write a book uh, called Polly Done Poorly. Um, <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. Yeah. yeah you're not yeah. You're not alone in that. No, no, not at all. Um, I, I've been talking a lot lately about how we didn't have a whole lot of great powers of example. You know, 25 mm -hmm. years ago, 20, 20 years ago or so, it was very limited resources, very limited access to people who were, were practicing polyamory. Um, you know, there was a lot of people that wanted to have um, multiple partners, multiple sex, um, sexual experiences, but not a whole lot on how to navigate uh, what's happening. How are we deprogramming the monogamous um, cultural pieces within us? And how are we addressing the stuff that's really hard? Uh, mm -hmm. So it was, very, it was very difficult to kind of navigate that in the first maybe decade. Um, I think we're, we're doing okay today. Um, I have another partner of five years. Uh, my husband has another partner of two years. Um, nice. And we've, I think we are somewhat uh, in harmony right now. Um, so I'm just going to kind of exhale and say, okay. I <laughs> Knowing that I say that and something could just, you know, come knocking on the door. So sure. um, yeah, it's, it's been a long journey, a very beautiful one. There are uh, seven adults and, and three children involved in our home and our in our pod. Nice. Um, yeah, and it's it really is it, it's quite beautiful the the amount of love and care that we experience today. And um, I don't feel as bruised, you know, mm -hmm. when people are approaching me about my lifestyle any longer. Um, I feel fairly confident in it, which is nice. That wasn't always the case, mm -hmm. you know. So, so a lot of times I felt kind of beat up by judgment along the way um, and uh, paired with not really having people to talk to. So I'm very grateful for where we are as far as the poly community, mm -hmm. uh, and the access and the information and the resources that we have. So that's, yeah. that's my, my 26 year journey uh, summed up. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. There's definitely a huge difference uh, from now and, you know, compared to 20 years ago, just the resources and, and the communities, the internet really opened up the communities uh, in, a, in a huge, huge way. Um, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned uh, three children in the household. Uh, and whenever I get the opportunity, I like to ask, you know, what that has been like. Uh, obviously, you can't speak for your kids necessarily, but from your viewpoint, from your, from your vantage point, 
what has that been like uh, for your kids? And hello, Greg. Thanks for tuning in. That, that's my other partner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Hi, Greg. <laughs> um, so I could probably speak for my oldest. She's she's 22, the, the most. Um, my other partner has a son who's going to be 12. Uh, and then we have a 23-month-old. So um, there is a 10-year age difference between all three children. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my oldest was born into it. So she she's had the most experience with really um, being integrated into her parents, not just being with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, you know, being a therapist, I don't want to overanalyze her experience. Uh, she could definitely speak for herself, but there have been times where she has asked, you know, me, you know, when she was younger, do I have to be Polly? You know, like, can I be this? You know, so there was some confusion about her own, um, manifestation of relationship. And then there were moments where, you know, I was really proud of her where she was, um, and I was just telling this to another group of poly people. She at 14, her and one of her close friends decided to date the same person mm-hmm. and they were having trouble navigating, um, communication and that relationship. And she went to her counselor at school and said, can we talk about, um, this, dynamic and this jealousy that we're feeling dating the same person. And I got a call from the school counselor saying, I, I, I would really like to discuss some deviant behavior with your daughter. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, let's go. You know, um, she, she did the right thing. She sought out guidance and counsel to address some discomfort and the world wasn't quite ready for her yet. So yeah. we had to explain in multiple layers to her that, you know, she had to keep trucking along and her, um, communication skills and her manifestation of relationships. And, you know, sometimes she will talk about some really beautiful things growing up, but she also remembers the really hard stuff. You know, when we were navigating a really hard time, you know, the kids, they're there, they witness it, they experience it. Um, they are astute and aware. Um, mm-hmm. So there were, there were a couple of years there that were very hard for um the dynamic that we had, the adult dynamic that we had, and her witnessing some of that, that we still talk about today, um, that we all kind of are still healing from. Yeah. I mean, the way, the way I see it, there's, there's parents always screwed up their kids, right? Mm -hmm. Like (laughs) in in one way or another, you know, uh, my parents weren't perfect. They, you know, did their absolute best, but you know, I'm sure that there were there were missteps. Your parents are, you know, all parents, people are imperfect. And so, you know, we all see those things. Um, I'm curious to kind of find out what happened with that, with the school situation, if like anything ever came out of that, because that can be a scary thing. I know, you know, CPS could suddenly get involved and like all these crazy things never had anything like that. Well, to be fair, um, I grew up in the world of social work. My uh-huh. mother was actually a CPS caseworker. Mm-hmm. Um, the language and the lingo and the understanding was there. Um, I was actually asked, um, even prior to licensure, just because I had worked in child welfare, to educate um, some people working in child welfare on open relationships and ethical non-monogamy. Um, so I was prepared, I think, if that was nice. going to happen. And the the way that I spoke to the counselor and and basically I, you know, I accepted what she was saying 
I heard her words and I, I tried to have a conversation with her that this is, it, it may be outside of the norm, but she's actually doing something very healthy and positive, mm-hmm. seeking guidance for what she's seeking guidance for. So I want you to take the, the structure of this relationship out and address that she is asking for help. And uh, parallel to that, I was giving her information on polyamory, unethical non-monogamy, and saying, here, please you know, educate yourself if you're so inclined. Um, but this is not deviant behavior uh, the way that you're thinking about deviance. Um, so we had a good conversation and things did not come of it. I think that, you know, that school district was very, um, they had way bigger issues to be dealing with than um, a child who was openly sharing another partner. I don't know if they knew our dynamic. You know, I don't Got know it. if she went there and and spoke about how her parents had other partners because mm-hmm. um, that didn't come up in our conversation. She was just concerned about my daughter. Got uh, and it. I, you know, I was, I was open to the conversation, which is, also, I think something that the schools are not necessarily used to. No, I mean, society isn't used to it yet. Mm-hmm. So, but we're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah, so, sure. others, it's a thing where more and more people hearing the word polyamory and ethical non monogamy, and it's, it's happening. So, thank you, Internet, for all that. Mm-hmm. Christine, this, this has been a, a really fun and getting to know you. So let's dive into our topic. You wrote a whole book about becoming integrated to your sexual revolution. What does that mean? (laughs) So I'm a patterns person. Um, I like when I can fit things in a nice neat box, which is very, you know, counterintuitive to being poly, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So studying psychology, I have a... I have training in, you know, alternate religions, um, in theology, in, you know, paths that require some ordeal initiation, that kind of stuff. And I, I learned a lot about alternate religions, um, energies in our bodies, how to manifest our will, um, you know, where we are blocking ourselves. Uh, so I had probably about a decade of, of training in that before I decided to go to school and become a psychologist and, uh, to get a, a degree in counseling. Um, as I was doing that, I was experiencing, you know, the, the history of psychology and theories and systems, and I love systems. And so when, mm-hmm. I, when I can see where systems overlap, um, it, it fascinates me to go, oh, okay, well, here's, here's an Eastern view of, of development, human development, body development, and here's a Western view of, of human development. And I'm noticing that they are, are aligning in a lot of ways. So as I um, talked to probably a couple thousand people, I was a, a sex toy salesman for over a decade. I worked nice. for a company where I trained their distributors. So I had access to a lot of people and I, I was constantly curious about their sexual exploration. You know, what were they doing to become uh, integrated, stable, confident in their sexual selves? And I started to realize, okay, there, there's these overlaps of things like the root chakra, which we, you know, when we, when we think about that base chakra, um, we think about things like safety, right? So, um, safety, grounding. Can I, can I, can I stop you really quick? Uh, so when you, when you talk about the root chakra, I'm like thinking that's around my butt somewhere. Is that, is that right? Yeah. So the perineum area. So between the genitals and the anus is the root. Um, Okay. Okay. So that would be like the first, um, the base chakra energy. And you said that, that that's safety and 
Yep. Safety, anger, um, you know, how we determine, well, safety and groundedness, you know, how do we mm-hmm, walk through mm-hmm. life? And when you look at Erickson's stage, his stage for that is, is early development and that's trust and mistrust. So they, they really do align with mm. this. How do I learn to trust? Who do I learn to trust? What is mistrust? And, you know, the way that I, I kind of explain this first area is think about your first sexual experience. Mm-hmm. And most people will go to a place where they think about the first time they kissed somebody or somebody's hand slid down their pants or up their shirt. And I take it back even further when we are infants and we are having our diaper changed. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I'm going to be a little gender binary here because we are still very stuck on what are the genitals and what do we assign? What kind of um, attributes do we assign based on the genitals that people are born with? So when, you know, somebody is born with a vagina and the diaper gets changed and that little girl, you know, goes and touches her labia, what's the response? Mm-hmm. Right. The, the response is generally no, dirty, don't touch that. Sometimes there's a smack on the hand. Oh, moving the hands away okay. from the spot on the body that's a natural place to explore. Mm-hmm. So you have a, a, you know, a, a little boy who has a penis and he's erect and he runs out into the living room and everybody laughs. Right. So I know we don't have, I can't go through all of these things. So I'm doing this pretty quickly, but mm-hmm. ultimately right from the very beginning, we've attached shame to female sexuality and we have made a joke out of male sexual exploration and their sexuality. So mm-hmm. when you're looking at those developmental stages and you're thinking about safety and trust and mistrust, almost from the beginning, our foundation of sexual health has been altered from a place of, you know, moving forward in a, in a healthy way. And so when we go on to that next part of our um, development, which is the sacral area, which is the womb or the, you know, where the um, reproductive organs are, we are in the next stage of Erickson's, which is autonomy um, versus shame and self-doubt. And so when we think about the sacral area, that is our sex organs. We want to share this with somebody. We This is our creative force. And if we have a foundation of um, mistrust, we're going to end up interacting sexually with people from shame, from guilt, um, from not having this this kind of autonomy, this ability to say yes or no. And so we're, we're already building this foundation as we go up the energy centers in the body where we are told, trust your gut, right? So the next one is the gut, trust your gut, follow your intuition, but don't, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> like, but, but don't because logic brain. Right, exactly. Um, so, you know, this, this kind of solar plexus area, which is the gut, which is, you know, like, are we moving again? Like if you think autonomy, shame and guilt, the next one is, or shame and doubt, sorry, the next one is guilt and initiative, right? So how do we move through our intuition? Are we doing it from a place of guilt, from appeasing, from mm. soothing, or are we doing it from a place of, hey, I'm motivated, I can move forward, I want to co-create. Um, so we can look at all of these energy centers in our body and all of these um, stages of development and see where we've created some injury right from the very beginning. Yeah. I, I love the way that that it just it works with both. It doesn't matter. I mean, you, you keep relating uh, 
from one shocker to the next and and referring to Erickson, uh, I'm not familiar with who that is, but something psychology related, <laughs> I'm guessing. Uh <laughs> But but there, there's there's so much correlation there, and so it's like when I hear chakras and things like that, I don't necessarily think science. Right. But when I think psychology, and you talk about Erickson, it's like okay, there's science there, but it appears that there's science even in in the chakra, whether we knew it or not. So that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> We got like 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, research and um, anecdotal information and, you know, who has sat down and said, absolutely, we have these energy centers. You know, you're talking about 5,000 years of, of practice in a different culture when we are living in a, in a, a culture that values fact and information mm-hmm. over, you know, so we're talking logic versus that right. intuition. So it's very difficult to to come and say, well, you know, chakras are not a science, yet we do have somatic therapy. We have therapy that very specifically deals with the body and trauma and remembrance, right? So things like The Body Keeps the Score or Peter Levine's books on, you know, where do we keep trauma in the body? Mm-hmm. And those somatic therapists have way before me, you know, said, hey, there, there's something in the body that is happening and we can't just address it from a cognitive or behavioral perspective, which is very much a psychological part of the systems of, of psychology, um, the history of systems. Um, so it it does overlap nicely. There is a science to both. Um, we just don't necessarily want to acknowledge where it, it came from, maybe what the mm-hmm. history is, you know, 5,000 years, 7,000 years of, of history, um, because, you know, it's just who we are. Yeah, yeah. It's I'm I'm blown away. It's just just the way that it all makes sense and correlates. And it's like, yeah, we've been studying this thing. Like you said, 5,000, 7,000 years. It's like we're just putting a new name to it, you know, with with these new new studies, new research, new terminologies, whatever. Pretty cool stuff. All right. So um, digging deeper, you stopped at the solar plexus. Is there more as we continue through our sexual integrating our sexual revolution? Oh yeah, so from from the gut, you go up to the heart and from the heart is the throat and the throat is then, you know, the third eye and then you have your your crown. And so if you think about this kind of pole of energy, you know, the, the root is grounding you and the crown is bringing you up to this like um, higher consciousness, a, a connection mm-hmm. to the divine. Um, so if, if you get to the heart, let's say, right? So polyamory is a a great vehicle for being able to explore the different facets of our heart and how we love, right? Because polyamory is is not just about sex and and romance. It is about how we love other people. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you get to your heart and your gut hasn't chosen well for you because it's choosing based on injury rather than a healthy development, your heart's going to attach, right? We've heard things about trauma bonding, um, you know, things like that attachment theory is really new. Polysecure is um, yep. one of the newer books out that talks about attachment theory um, and trauma and polyamory. Um, so when our heart connects, we connect in a way based on our history. Um, so we tell people, follow your heart, but maintain logic, right? Follow your heart, but have some healthy boundaries. 
it's really hard to have healthy boundaries if your voice, if you don't have a voice, right? So the next one from the heart is, is the throat. And so how do we express our desire if our heart's not connected in a healthy way because our gut chose somebody who is not necessarily healthy for us because we're still trying to co-create from the sacral area um, based on our root that was almost from the beginning of our lives altered because of somebody else's shame. Okay. Interesting. So <laughs> I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit, I, I, I like it. I mean, I, I get what you're saying. And, and, and as you're kind of getting through this, I'm thinking, uh, you know, just understanding the way the heart does love and, and you need to be able to have your voice and speak your truth and uh, set those boundaries. But if we're traumatized from, you know, all these different things, maybe we're not able to connect all of those things and, and, speak for ourselves and so i'm guessing that that's where your therapy practice comes in and you help people to alleviate that to to get that courage how, how does that work um i mean aside from like multiple appointments and and you know lots of talking <laughs> well, actually, if if people are ready and they are they can suspend some disbelief I actually don't work with people for very long, you know, six to eight weeks. Um, we can work through a trauma. The, the closer I get, the sooner I get somebody who's experienced a trauma, especially a sexual trauma. Mm -hmm. um, so the sooner I can get to them, the faster the sessions actually are. Um, so if somebody has come to me and they have a history of abuse or trauma or the abuse or trauma was way in their past, it generally takes us a little bit longer to get into the body um, to address that trauma. Mm -hmm. Whereas if somebody comes to me almost immediately after an assault, we're talking six to eight sessions and they're pretty good to go. Um, I Got also it. specialize in this. So, so sometimes I will be seeing them simultaneously with their individual therapist that they've had, you know, for other, other issues. Um, so for the, the, the method I use is a combination of talk therapy um, and telehealth has made this very, um, cre I've had to get very creative with this. And because the other piece is watching somebody's body, mm -hmm. watching how they breathe, where are their shoulders, are they curling in on their gut? Is their, you know, their head up or are they, you know, crouching down? Where are their legs positioned? Is their leg moving? And so I'm watching those parts of the body that correlate to the words we'll use are chakras, those energy centers. And I will say to somebody, you know, where are you right now? Because your gut just pushed way into your back and you're trying to get into my couch. Hmm. And so we stop in a moment and we address the body rather than necessarily talk about um or use the verbal aspect. And I also don't um, pressure anybody to tell me their story. Mm -hmm. so when I am working with somebody who's had sexual trauma, I don't need you to retell me the experience unless you feel you need to or it's relevant. I don't want you to relive the experience. I want to address how it's impacting you today, which is why when I, when I do work with somebody who, who has been more recently traumatized, it's easier to pull it out of the body than somebody who has taken it and pushed it down and down and down and down. Mm -hmm. um, because assault, especially sexual assault, generally happens in the root area of our body, the root and sacral right. area of our body. So mm -hmm. it's coming up our body. 
and people's instinct is to push it down. Um, so the first question I actually ask people is how far back did you wish yourself away? Hmm. So they will tell me, I wish I never went to that party. Right. I wish I never met that friend. I wish I never went to that school. I wish mm -hmm. I never, and eventually they get to, I wish I was never born all because of this one instance that, that attacked them at their core. Um, Gosh. Right. So let me just, you know, bring down the podcast. For a <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, this, this is real stuff. Yeah. You know, this is real stuff that like, sadly, really happens. Um, but it sounds like that that is exactly the type of person that you speak with the most. I mean, sexual traumas, is that like, really who you talk to more than anybody else? Um, yes, sexual traumas and non-monogamy, usually ethical non-monogamy. Um, and so to bring it back to, to poly um, and polyamory and, and practicing polyamory, it can be a playground for um, reliving injury over and over again, mm -hmm. or it can be a great vehicle for um, true autonomy and entering into relationship in a way that you show up completely, you know, not out of injury, not out of shock, um, not because of something that happened to you, but because you have done the work to know um, how you're impacted so that you know how you're walking with, with other people. It gives you, it kind of empowers that person, gives them that, that, uh, that control back in a lot of ways. Wow. Wow. Christine, that was, that was something. That was something. I mean, my bro said it and he's not with us here today, but he's like, that was deep. Yeah, that was, that was, whoo. I feel like I need to recover from that one a, a little bit. Wow. That was do a little debrief. <laughs> Christine, uh, you have made such an impact here uh, on, on, on me uh, for this show. Uh, I want to tell you, thank you. First of all, because that was, some of the best stuff right there that, that, that I think uh, I've had in a while. Um, and from that, I hope that people will be able to reach out to you and get help from you if they are dealing with uh, some kind of sexual trauma or they need help with, you know, they're navigating their, their ethical non-monogamy. Uh, can you tell people what is the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, probably my website, becomeintegrated.com, that has all of my Facebook and, and uh, Instagram and um, email, telephone number is all on that website. Perfect. All right. And uh, I'm going to throw this out there for you since we have it on the screen. Follow uh, on all social media as well, Facebook and Instagram, either at Christine LaPlante with an E, L-M-H-C, and or uh, sacred, not secret at sacred, not secret, uh, Facebook and Instagram. Wow, Christine, thank you again so much for uh, this awesome show. It's been it's been so cool. We got a lot of people so awesome. Thank you, uh, Greg. Thank you again. Also, man, Christine, that rocked. Great Thanks job. For me. Thank you. <laughs> All right. And thank you, as always to our live audience for tuning in. As a reminder, when we're live, we get no commercial interruptions, but the same can't be said for those podcast downloads. So 
If you want to avoid the commercial interruptions, be sure to catch us live Monday through Wednesday or sign up for our Patreon where you'll get access to our commercial-free RSS feed and support the show. Don't forget to follow us everywhere at Practicing Poly A and subscribe on YouTube, on iTunes, Spotify, wherever it is. We'll really appreciate it. All right, everybody. Thank you all so much, as always, and until next time. Have a nice day! Thank you for tuning in to the Practicing Polyamory podcast. Would you or someone in your polycule like to be a guest? Sign up at practicingpolyamory.com and join the conversation. Please support us by subscribing, liking, and following us on social media at Practicing Polya by clicking any of the affiliate links on our website or by subscribing at patreon.com slash practicingpolya.